0: Thanks. Take your. uh, You know I love I love I love the this is the this is the perfect storm this Sunday. You've got the time change and rain at the same time. It's the great separating factor in Christianity, and you are here in the house. So give yourself an applause. Thank you for coming. We are in a series uh, right now that is probably going to be a, one of the most important series that we've ever done in the church, and uh, it's not just this mini-series we're doing now on the Beatitudes, it's the whole Sermon on the Mount. I'm so excited about it. My wife is in Midtown preaching the same message. It's the first time the two of us have preached at different campuses ever on the same Sunday, so that'll save you from asking me where she is up in the lobby, and I, <laughs> have a purpose for saying that, but uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5, and let me just begin with a word of prayer. Father, uh, for the next few moments together, my prayer is that everyone that's here in the room, that's at all the campuses, and especially all those who are watching us online from all over the world, we come around the table, and we just want to listen to what your word says, and I'm praying that hearts are being opened to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying in this message, so that when we leave today, there's a deposit down inside of us that transforms us, changes us into your image. I thank you for this. Thank you for the anointing to deliver it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. I want to go through a couple thoughts about this particular series because I think it bears reminding ourselves what we're trying to do. When we read the start of the Sermon on the Mount, the first uh, few verses, or the first few verses of chapter five, we have what's called the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes are the attitudes of God towards us that He wants us to have towards people. And it's interesting when you when you it's a disposition, if you will, it's a disposition of God that He wants to carry you to carry. In your personality, in the style of how you live your life, how you think about people, how you think about life, how you reflect God to a lost and dying world. And the first four, which we've already gone through, the first four are the Beatitudes or the disposition that we are to have towards God, how we respond to God, how we think about God. So let's just kind of go back through those first four again. I want you to read with me. In Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading in verse 3. So let's read it together. First verse, let's read it together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, let's stop for a moment. I want to remind you what this is, the poor in spirit. The first words of the beatitude, he says poor in spirit. What he's basically saying, he's starting with this attitude of, if you're poor in spirit, meaning that you empty yourself of yourself. Your life is no longer about you. Unfortunately, a lot of people haven't gotten that in the body of Christ. Uh, You can look at their social media accounts and tell they have not gotten that yet. Too many selfies, too much about themselves. When you come to God, the only way you're really going to learn about God is you have to empty yourself of yourself. In essence, Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you have to first lose your life. And you have to become poor in spirit. You have to become, have a disposition with God. I am nothing without you. I can do nothing without you. I have nothing without you. It's not about me anymore. It's about you. My life is about you reflecting who you are to a lost and dying world. Then he says the second verse. Let's read the second verse. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I thought Johnson delivered one of the finest messages I've ever heard on this subject a few weeks ago, and he was talking about the principle of mourning not only over losses in our life, but sin in our life, allowing the time to mourn over that, and he talked about how the Jewish tradition was to put a a, a covering over your head and sometimes sit there for days, uh, letting this mourning go on to get it out of you so that you're no longer carrying the guilt, the shame, or whatever inside of you. And and this is an important feature where he's saying you're emptying yourself, but you're also allowing yourself to feel the depths of your sin. You're not covering over it. You're not glossing over it. You're allowing yourself to feel the pain of what you've been doing in your life. And through this mourning, you get healed. You get comforted. He says, this is how you get comforted. I believe a lot of Christians have really never mourned over their sins. I believe a lot of Christians still live with their sins because they've not mourned over their sins. They still battle with their sins. And this is an important feature. If you want to reflect the beauty and the comfort of God, you have to first allow yourself to go there to the depth of what you've done wrong. And also allow yourself to feel the pain of any loss in your life. Then he says in the third verse, he said, let's read it together. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Now he's talking about another disposition, a disposition of humility, a disposition of teachability, a disposition of correctability. In other words, he's saying now you're positioning yourself. You don't know anything. You can't do anything without God. And you're humble. You're no, in, your, in your own sight, you're humbling yourself. You humble yourself. To, to receive the instructions of God so that you can hear and receive correction from God, teaching from God, learning from God. And when it disagrees with what you're doing, instead of rebelling against it or putting up a guard against it, you receive it. Amen. I always say this about, about people you never know what you have in a person till you correct them. Isn't that the truth? In other words, you think they're, oh, they're just a wonderful person. They love God. They're just singing the songs of God. They come to church worshiping God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then you correct them, and all these other words start coming out of their mouth. (laughs) Have you ever met somebody like that? You can always tell whether a person is meek by how they receive correction. And even if they embrace it, I know most of us don't like the feeling of correction, but if we're truly wise people, the Bible says a wise person seeks correction, a fool despises it. And so in essence, when we come to God, we say, God, not only do I want to be encouraged, I also want to be corrected. I want to be challenged to not live the life I've always lived. I want you to look inside of me if search my heart. Is there any wrong thing inside of me so that I can change those things? Amen. Then he says, the fourth one, and he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And he's talking about coming after God's holiness, his righteousness. We are not righteous in our own walk with God. We fall short, way short of the glory of God, we know Jesus is the one who makes us righteous through what he did on the cross, but he also expects us, out of that righteousness, to live a righteous life. How many of you agree with that? We're not supposed to accept receive the righteousness of God and then live like the devil and claim we're righteous. Would you all agree with me? That's a false righteousness, and then we're also not supposed to live with this attitude that we got it all together, That's self-righteousness. We live with this heart, hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, His holiness. And He says, if you go after God, if you pursue holiness with your heart, He says, then you will see God. You will get closer to God. I don't know about you, but I want to get closer to God. Amen. I believe God is calling His church to get closer to Him. And as He calls us, we go hungering and thirsting for more of God and less of this world. And then finally, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I went back through all of the hundreds of sermons that I preached, and I asked, where did I preach on mercy before? Have I ever preached a sermon on mercy? And I went back, and I found only one sermon that I completely focused on the one subject of mercy. was in 1994, before some of you were even born. And, and And I went back and looked at this message, and I thought, wow, I had a limited revelation of mercy back then. We were only four years old as a church, and I was just learning about God. But the more I studied mercy and over the years have learned about mercy, I've learned that when you get this concept of mercy, it changes the way you view humanity. It changes the disposition you have towards the world, towards sin, towards people that are sinning. It allows you to feel the way Jesus does about people. And and, and when he says you're blessed when you're merciful. He's saying that when you get this revelation, this is a blessing that most people never experience, never walk in the fullness of it. Now, I want you to t- take the audience that Jesus is saying this to. I want you to capture the essence. How many of you have ever seen uh, this the show Chosen? How many of you have ever seen Chosen before? So I'm watching it right now. I'm, I'm in the throes of it. I, I've got, I'm trying to. I'm trying to prepare myself for Easter. So I'm watching all, when I get home at night, that's all I watch. I just want to see, I want want to watch what Jesus was all about. So we we watch about three sessions or whatever, and then I start falling asleep, and then I have to go to bed, not because it's not good. It's wonderful. But Chosen is a a, a real depiction, probably as best I've ever seen, modern day depiction of what it must have been like for Jesus to live on the earth in the midst of a, group of people, specifically the religious people of the day, and try to introduce a new way of thinking. Now, how many of you know it is hard to introduce a new way of thinking to religious people? His biggest enemy, his, his most resistant crowd was not the Roman government. It was the religious sector of the Jews in that day. The people who supposedly knew God, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these wealthy religious people. And they had set a, a, up a system of religion of laws and rules. They, had, they, had, they, they dressed very fancy so that everybody knew they were important. And look at their outfits. You must bow to them. You know, must look at these religious people. They're holy people. A lot of times when you see people all dressed up in religious garb, it's to cover up what's really missing on the inside, to cover up what's really missing down inside of us. If you notice, Jesus didn't dress like that. And so anyway, they're, they're going through this, this, this season of time where Jesus is starting to introduce what we call the new covenant. And he's introducing it to people who've been living under the old covenant for thousands of years. And they have been embracing this, teaching this to the people, and getting the people so under it that they were living under the law, but they kept falling short. They kept failing. And the law was severe. If you got caught in certain things, like adultery, or you did something that was really grievous, you would be put to death openly in front of people out in society. It was a very serious thing, and so you had this this thing that was going on with the religious people, then you had this thing that was going on with the Roman government, and in the middle of that, you have Jesus, and Jesus is just a simple teacher at the time. He's introducing these new concepts, and what got their attention were two things, The first thing was the miracles. They could not deny the miracles. Blind people were seeing, deaf people were hearing, lame people were walking, all kinds of miracles. So they couldn't deny that there were miracles. And then the revelation of what he was saying. It was so new, so interestingly new that they'd never heard this before. And the people were embracing it. They were listening to it because it had an element of freedom to it that they'd never heard taught by the Pharisees. And of course, it's made the Pharisees very upset. It got them very upset because they were losing their influence to this simple carpenter who was laying out the framework of who God was. And when he starts and shifts over to this concept of mercy, this really enraged them because they didn't understand mercy. They didn't know what mercy was. All they knew was what judgment was. And they had taught it to people that God is a God of judgment. They never saw God as a God of mercy. So when Jesus comes on the scene, he's he's laying this framework out, and this is what caused the great disruption in society. You have people that were listening that never listened to God. They were listening to Jesus, and they were no longer listening to the religious factor because they, they realized this old covenant is shifting to a new covenant. Now, this new covenant is described in the book of John, chapter 1. And it says a simple statement in John, chapter 1, in verse 17. And here's what it says, John 1, 17. It says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying that he's introducing this concept of grace and truth together. Now, if you understand grace and you understand truth, how many of you know it has to be both for it to work? If you only have grace without truth, you, you preach a gospel of toleration. If you have truth without grace, you preach a gospel of judgment. Because truth is sometimes hard to receive. So it has to have grace involved in it. Amen? Amen. So you have grace and truth, which is the true reflection of who Jesus is, and what ties them together, what kind of puts the puzzle together is this word mercy, mercy. So if we were to define grace and mercy, how would we define it? All right, here's grace. Grace is God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. God doing something for you that you cannot do for yourself. How many of you have ever received grace from God? God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. I'll tell you where grace is operating in your life right now, in your talents and your abilities. Everything that you're talented to do, everything that you're gifted to do is God's grace on your life. That's why you should never advertise it as if it's your grace. It's your abilities. Did you Look at me. Look how wonderful I am. I'm a child of God. Look how great I am. I'm a king of of the kings. I'm a queen of queens. Uh, And you start to make it about who you are instead of who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who's the great one. Amen. And every gift that you have comes from him. Every ability you have comes from him. But we have a tendency to forget that. And then mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. Giving, not giving you what you do deserve. Let me illustrate this in my own personal life. I'm going to confess sin to you right here on the stage. I asked the Lord, is it all right to confess sin for the whole church? He said, go for it. You need, they need to hear you confess sin. All right. One, I'm not going to confess some really crazy sin. I'm just going to tell you one of the things that... I'm going to tell you something that I'm very weak in. I, I, I struggle with, in my own flesh is driving a car too fast. Anybody here have that, have that issue? You drive too fast? I have an a, a emotional makeup that likes to go and get there. I don't like to just dawdle along. How many of you know what I'm talking about? One of the most frustrating things to me are people who ride in the left lane slowly. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I need all of grace and mercy that I can give when I see that happening. <laughs> they, I, if you're one of those people that likes to ride in the left lane, please, for the sake of all of us, move over to the slow lane. If you're gonna go slow, go in the slow lane. If you're from another country and you didn't know that's the way we drive in America, the left lane is the fast lane, the right lane is the slow lane. The Peach Pass is the really fast lane. And the last thing I want to see you do is get in the peach pass and go slow because you're slowing all of us down. All right. So anyway, when I, go, I don't drive extraordinarily fast in traffic, but when I'm out on the road, like going to Florida, I go to Florida about once a month and, and, and sometimes preach down there to church. And I have a home down in, in Destin. So I go down there. There's a, there's a road that I go on that there's nobody on it. It's just a, it's a nice open road. And when I get on an open road, I don't know what happens to me. It's just... <laughs> and I'm going fast two years ago I set a record I got pulled over 11 times 11 times for speeding now check this out this is the goodness of God this is the mercy the beautiful mercy of God I got 11 warnings not one ticket not one ticket Which unfortunately, sometimes when you receive too much mercy, you start to get full of yourself. And you start thinking, I can get away with this. So recently, I was driving to Florida, and I was coming back from Florida, actually. And I was going through Dothan, Alabama. Between Dothan, Alabama, and Eufaula, Alabama. And if you've ever been down there, you know that those policemen have nothing better to do (laughs) than to catch people like us from Atlanta and give us tickets. And so I'm driving, but I've got Waze. Waze is my grace meter. (laughs) Y'all know what Waze is, right? Waze tells you when the police is up ahead. (laughs) But what Waze can account for is when a police all of a sudden just stops, and there's nobody to go by him yet. And a police just happened to pull over right over the hill where I was driving about 89 miles an hour which is way over the speed limit and it's very sinful and I should never have been doing that. For all of you young people, do not take that as a license to do that. I was doing, I was not really paying attention how fast I was going and as I crossed over the hill, he was there and the light came on right away. Oh, I got him. And he pulled me over and I was praying. What was I praying for? Mercy. 11 times. Praying for mercy, no mercy. No mercy. No mercy, ticket for $275. He said, if you were in Georgia, you'd be going to jail. Because 20 miles over the speed limit, you're going to jail. He said, now in in Florida, or whatever, Alabama, we have have a little more grace here. We have a little more mercy here. We want to give you a ticket. So I got this ticket. So now, you know, so then I I thought, okay, I've got to slow down. So then a week or two later, I'm going back down to Florida with my wife. And we're talking and we're having a conversation and I'm not paying any attention and here I am speeding again. But there's nothing on Waze to tell me to slow down and, and all of a sudden a cop comes this way. Now Waze cannot account for police that are driving. And he pulls, he sees me, he's got his radar on and his lights go on and he's going this way and I'm going this way and I realize he's got me so I just pulled over. I just, you know, yeah, I know he's gonna get me so I just pulled over. So he swings around behind me and, I, and I'm just, in, and here's what I'm doing internally. God, I can't, if I get another ticket, my insurance is going through the roof. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Please, I need your mercy. And thankfully, he did something that I was really counting on. As he walked up, he didn't walk up on my side, he walked up on Colleen's side. Now, ladies, I don't know what it is about y'all. But y'all de-arm Police. We don't have, it's not the same. We're, we don't get treated the same. And, and, and he looks, looks at her, little blonde-headed girl, cute little girl, and innocent. She says, officer, were we speeding? <laughs> Honey, were you speeding? He said, and he's a young guy, he says, uh, you were going 88 miles an hour. He says, you were way over the speed limit. He says, What are you in such a hurry for? And I said, Well, you know, to be honest with you, I was just caught up in a conversation, wasn't paying any attention. I'm very sorry. And that's why I said, I deserve a ticket. I said, I deserve it. He said, Sir, I'm going to not, I'm just going to give you a warning this time. Come on, Jesus. Come on. Don't you love mercy? We have a merciful God. Now, I want you to see a couple things in Scripture. I want you to see what God says about this. Look, look at Psalm 103. I'm gonna, it's going to come up on the screen, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He's not dealt with us according to our sins. Aren't you glad about that? Nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed his, our transgressions from us. Another translation says, and he, ha- and he remembers them no more. Now, I want you to take a moment, and I want you to think about all your transgressions that God has forgiven you of, all the sins that God has forgiven you of. I want you to take a moment and think about the mercy that God has given you over life. And how many times you should have been penalized or disciplined in ways that you should, have, you should have paid a price for something, but God gave his mercy to you. He gave his mercy to you because he wants you to understand he is a merciful God. Now, that's David writing that. His son Solomon would write this in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness, and I love this. His mercies begin afresh every morning. Every day you wake up, you should be thanking God. You should be lifting your hand. thank you for the mercy of God that's fresh on me today. Thank you for having mercy on me. For God, there are many things I should be paid... I'd be paying the price for. There are many times I should have been judged for my sins. How many of you agree with that in your own life? There are many of us. There are many times where I should have had something bad happen to me, but your mercy is new over me every morning. You're a merciful God. Now, if God is that way towards you, shouldn't you be that way towards people? Did did you hear what I just said? If God is that way towards you, shouldn't you be that way? towards people. But we're not. We're not merciful people. A lot of times, we want God's mercy for ourselves, but we don't want to give mercy to people who do something bad to us or something harmful to us or to another person. And what happens is there are many people in the body of Christ that do not have the disposition of mercy. So how do you How do you develop this? How do you get a disposition of mercy, all right? Here's the first stage of it. I call it the first stage of a life of mercy, and that is mercy follows Jesus as the model. Mercy follows Jesus as the model. Now, I started thinking about what's going on right now in society, and I was trying to think, you know, we don't have in America, we generally don't have what we consider to be religious Pharisees dressed up in these outfits, walking around like they did in the G- days of Jesus. But what we have are people who represent pharisaical attitudes in society. For example, and this is gonna mess with you. I, is it all right if I mess with you? You know I'm gonna mess with you, right? And so this is gonna mess with you. But I rem, if you are a Fox News junkie, or a CNN junkie, or an MSNBC news junkie, you're probably a Pharisee. You're probably a Pharisee. My mother was a Pharisee. She literally kept Fox News on 24 hours a day. And all she kept hearing, bombarded with over and over, wasn't news. It was criticism of other people who didn't think like the people at Fox News. Y'all all right out there? And some of you, that's right, there are evil over there at Fox News. There are devils over there. What about you? What about you on the other side? People think that, that, that if they're Republican, that the Democrats are demons. Democrats think the Republicans are demons. And some Christians have bought into the lie, unfortunately, that po- politics is what Christianity is all about they become so political-minded, they've lost the, the essence of who Jesus is. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus is not a Republican. Jesus is not a Democrat. Jesus is not a Fox News junkie or a CNN junkie. Jesus is not solving societal problems, listen to me, through government. Now, I know that messes with some of y'all because your whole life is built around who's the president of the United States, and you spend a lot of time criticizing whoever that person is, depending on what your political persuasion is, and what happens is it puts a bad disposition on you. It forms a lifestyle that doesn't look like Jesus. It looks like a Pharisee, and you don't have to be a Christian to be a Pharisee. There are most of the non-Christians are Pharisees. This, this whole cancel culture is a pharisaical attitude. That if you don't think like I think, I'm canceling you. I'm no longer listening to you. I'm blocking you. I'm no longer participating with you. Come on, somebody. And if you spend a lot of time on social media, watching the news, feeding yourself on other people's opinions, you will become a modern-day Pharisee. And what happens is you move From the disposition of Christ to this position of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness, where you believe you're righteous and everyone else is wrong. Jesus addressed this. He addressed it over in Matthew 7. We'll talk about it later, but I'll just read the scripture to you. Matthew 7 in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? And then what does he call him? Oh, you can say it. Come on, everybody in the room, say it. I think you can all say it. I think only heard about a third of you. Let me hear what the word is. Come on. Hypocrite. A hypocrite who presents themselves to be one way when, in fact, they're a completely different way. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Here's where I got it, where I really started seeing it when Jesus is ministering to people in Matthew chapter 9. Here's what it says. Later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. How many of you know some disreputable characters? Let me see your hand. You know some. How many of you actually fellowship with them? Now, I'm not saying take on their way of life, but you put yourself around them. One of the big problems and travesties of the church is once we become self-righteous, we tend to only hang around self-righteous people. And it just feeds our way of thinking. We become pigeonholed in our way of thinking because we only surround ourselves with one uh, train of thought. And we don't open ourselves up to the unrighteous people. What we do is we criticize them from afar. We form judgments on the world, and we spend an inordinate amount of time talking, posting, and thinking about what's wrong with the world. Can I just tell you what's wrong with the world? People are sinners that don't know Jesus, that's what's wrong with the world. Jesus is not in the hearts of most people. We can't expect people without Jesus to act like people with Jesus. Did y'all hear what I just said? And if we're expecting that, we're going to be greatly disappointed, disgruntled, just always concerned about society. Society is the way it is because we haven't done our job of getting Jesus out to society. That's why it's the way it is. We become so self-righteous in the church that the only people we hang out with are self-righteous people. We don't feel comfortable about disreputable characters. But Jesus did. And Jesus is teaching us this. And he says, when the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and they lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher? By the way, but you might as well just say, what kind of example is this from God? Acting cozy with crooks and misfits. Jesus overhearing shot back, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what the scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. I'm finding myself, I'm as guilty as anybody that when I hang around self-righteous people, I start becoming self-righteous. I start becoming critical of the world. I start judging the world. I start, what's wrong with this group, What's wrong with that group? Look at what they're doing over in California. Look at what they're doing in New York. Look at what they're doing in the government. blah 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 blah, blah, blah blah, blah blah. And I spend an inordinate amount of time talking and thinking about what's wrong with everybody instead of being the answer to what's wrong with everybody. Jesus is the solution. Politics are not the solution. Jesus is the solution to all of societal problems. He is the solution. We have that inside of us, but we waste it by always looking outside of us at all the people and what they're doing wrong. Did you hear what I just said? So I want you to look at your social media accounts. I want you to look and see how much is on there about Jesus and what he's, what he's doing, what he's saying versus what you're saying, what you're doing, and what's wrong with the world. If you have an inordinate number of posts of what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with the world is you. Y'all all right out there? <laughs> so Jesus is trying to get us to see this. He's trying to say, okay, if you're going to be in this world, you've got to learn how to deal with people in the world, and you've got to learn how to have mercy, not tolerate sin, but have mercy so that they can come out of their sin. All right, so as he's doing this, he finally gets so criticized, so ostracized by society. And by the way, you better prepare yourself. If you're gonna be a true Christian, you will be criticized and you will be ostracized. And if you can't live a life where, you, where you're not worried about what people think about you, you're gonna to succumb to that. You gotta start learning to fear God and stop fearing man. You've got to learn to fear what God says, not what man's saying about you. If you're trying to be popular with people, you won't be popular with God. Did you hear what I just said? If the world's in agreement with what you're thinking, it's probably wrong. Are you following me? All right, so Jesus is now at the point where they're so angry with God, so frustrated with Jesus, that they put him on a cross. They beat him. They mock him. They spit on him. They call him every name under the book. They tear his clothes. The the disciples forsake him. The people that were following him forsake him. He's hanging on the cross. And the last words that come out of his mouth is, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. That is the most merciful statement a person can make. Because what he's saying is, because you know, you and I, when somebody does something wrong to us, here's what we think. You know exactly what you're doing. Isn't that right? And this is where you got to go deeper. Everybody say deeper. Deeper. On the surface, they know what they're doing, but below the surface, they really don't know what they're doing. They really don't know. They don't really know when a spirit's controlling their life. They really don't know when they bought into a deception, a belief system that's deceived. Most people, the reason they sin is because of deception. If you sin, sin is always tied into something you're deceived by. You're deceived, and you think that it's okay when it's not. And when people sin, we have to understand that the reason they sin is because they've been deceived. And you've got to understand it's not your job to stand up and tell everybody what's wrong with them, it's your job to help them see the truth and be set free. And the way they see the truth is by you extending grace and mercy grace and mercy through your disposition, not judgment and all kinds of criticism. Come on, somebody. I want y'all to really get this. This will go a long way in your marriage. Can you imagine if you're married to somebody, and you see them through the lens of, Father, forgive them, for they really don't know what they're doing, versus they certainly do know what they're doing, and let me tell the whole world what they're doing. I very rarely sat in a counseling situation where the husband and wife were having trouble, And one of them comes and says, it's me that's sinning. I'm the one that's the problem. They're usually saying, it's that wife or that husband thou gavest me, Lord. They know exactly what they're doing, and they're wrong. So first of all, Jesus is the model. Secondly, mercy loves in spite of sin. Mercy loves people in spite of sin. When we see people sinning, we don't love sin, but we love the person. We value the person. We love them even to the point of it hurting inside, of it costing us something. Now, I'm not talking about we tolerate the sin. I'm not talking about you live a life where you're just okay with sin, but you love the person in spite of their sin because you know the only thing that's going to lead them to repentance, listen to me, is the goodness of God, not the judgment of God. Very few people come to God through the judgment of God. Most people come through the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. When they see that God is still loving them, even though they're a sinner, this is what melted my heart. I hope it melted your heart before God, that I was a sinner, but God still loved me, that he still put his life on a cross and died for my sins in spite of the fact that I'm a sinner, I don't deserve forgiveness, I don't deserve heaven, I don't deserve mercy, but God gave it to me because he loves me and that's who he is. And he's trying to get us to get that disposition in us. The perfect example is the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. Let's read the scripture about that. Let's look at what happens in that scripture in John chapter 8. In verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the religious people, brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Whenever I read that account, I often wonder, I kind of just go through the motions of what, what was going on in that time. I often wonder, where is the guy in this equation here? Pretty sure it takes two to have adultery. Y'all, y'all with me? Somehow the guy's not there. He's, he got off scot-free. But the woman's caught in the act of adultery, and now she's, put in, she's being put on trial. Now, just pause for a moment. I'm not going to call out. I want anybody raising hands. But I'm sure there's some people in here that have committed adultery. Now it gets quiet when I say that. <laughs> I'm sure there's some of you that have fornicated. And I, you know what's fornication? It's having sex outside of marriage. Some of you have had sex with the same sex. That's what is common in church today. There's people that have had all kinds of different kinds of sex that are not aligned with God. Are you listening to me? Listen to me. They're all wrong. They're all sin. God does not approve of any of them. If you're here today and you're living with somebody and you're not married to them and you're having sex, that's sinful. I just want you to notice because the world today is so common that people think, oh, that's okay. God just winks his eye at this. No, that's sinful. And God wants that to change in you. He wants you to change your sexual habits. He wants you to get pure and holy in those areas. I'm sorry to meddle with you, but that's just the way it is. But God still loves you in spite of that. He never stops loving you. He never stops loving you. You can't do anything to make God stop loving you. Are you following me? And his goodness is that he forgives you if you'll repent. If you'll repent, acknowledge that sin and say, God, I repent. I turn away from this. I'm not going to keep living like this. God will forgive you just like that. He will love you and forgive you and give you a whole life that's different than the life you're currently living. That life of bondage, you know that has no good end to it. But the only way out is you've got to repent. Now, this woman was caught in this act of adultery. The Pharisees brought her as if they'd never done anything wrong. And they brought her before him and said, now, what do you say to this? Because if you say the wrong thing, then you're going to expose yourself as a a tolerating of sin. So then Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. You ever wonder what he was writing? I wonder what he was writing. I can't can't really figure out what he was writing, but maybe, what about these bozos? What do I say to them? (laughs) When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you, now listen to this, who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, when you start spouting off all your criticisms about all the sexual perversion that's going on in the world today, ask yourself, have you ever done anything like that? Have you ever done anything like that? And if you have, why are you spouting off about it on someone else? Are you listening to me? There's not few. There's very few of us in here that are virgins, that we're living a virginal life. And yet, we tend to, tend to judge people that are not living virgin lives, even though we didn't necessarily live that way. All right, so he says, if you're without sin, go ahead and throw the stone. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground at this... At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until one, only Jesus was left, and with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Now listen to what he says. Neither do I condemn you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to get you saved. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Notice he didn't say, what you're doing is not sin. He said, leave your life of sin. Quit sinning. Go away from this sin. Don't live this way anymore. And and, and here's the mercy of God. According to the law, you're supposed to be stoned. Now, Jesus just intervened on her behalf, and she knew. I'm sure she knew at the moment, at any moment, they are going to break out the stones, and she was going to die right there in front of everybody. That's what happened back in that day. Aren't you glad that doesn't happen today? Think about it. There might be a few of us that might not be living right now if that were happening today. Come on, somebody. Aren't you glad that's not happening today? I'm pretty sure she understood the mercy of God in that moment. Her life was spared. This is the same thing that God has done for you, and He's telling you this is how you are to have a disposition towards others. Towards others, you are not the judge and the jury, God is. You're not tolerating sin, you will mix. Truth and grace when you're talking to somebody and you're ministering to somebody that's struggling in sin, you're not going to tell them their sin is okay. You're not going to okay it. You're not going to poo-poo it and act like it doesn't exist. But you're also there showing them no matter how bad it is, listen to me, I still love you. I care enough about you and really the people who love you the most are the people who tell you the truth. The people who really don't love you will just lie to you. I'm here to tell you the truth because the truth is what sets you free. Amen? Amen. Now, what would it look like if all of us acted like that towards sinners, towards people in sin? Can I just tell you something? You wouldn't be able to shake off all the people knocking on your door, DMing you on your social media, trying to call you on your phone to get to you because they saw you as a person of mercy, not a person of judgment. This is how you lead people to Christ. And then finally, mercy yields mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, I don't know about you, but I wake up every morning and I think about how merciful God has been. And sometimes, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I ask God, I just ask him, I just talk to God like this sometimes, why have I received so much mercy? Why have I received so much mercy? He's, and here's what he said to me. He said, remember the story where the prostitute is washing the feet of Jesus, and the Pharisees and the religious people are just in staggered that he's even having anything to do with this woman washing his feet. And they're, do you know what kind of woman this is? Do you know what, what type of woman this is? And then he te- t- teaches them a parable, and he says, when you walked in the door, did you wash my feet? Did you put any perfume on my feet? He said, The reason she's doing this is because the one who's been forgiven the most loves the most. The one who's been forgiven the most loves the most. And I'll say it this way the one who has the revelation of how much they've been forgiven has the revelation of how to love people. I don't know about you, but I've been forgiven of a lot of things. How about you? How about you? I don't, sit there, I don't sit there and have this chart of, okay, well, I've only done this, but look at what they're doing. I recognize that my sins could fulfill a piece, piece of paper and then some of all the things I've done wrong. How many of you could say that in your life, in your past? And I, I don't think it's good. I don't, I don't justify it. There's nothing good about that. That's why I've had to turn to God to get forgiveness in my life. And when I came to Jesus, I was, I was like Paul said, the chief sinner. The chief sinner, you got to understand what it feels like to be up on the stage when you know what your life was like before Jesus. When people that knew me before Jesus find out that I'm a pastor, it takes them a good day or so to digest that <laughs> thought, because I knew you before Jesus, and you were a chief sinner at God's college, the University of Georgia. There was no shortage of sin. I'm not foreign to sin. I did not grow up a godly person in a Christian home, going to church all my life. I know some of you did, and I thank God for you. I did not grow up like that. I grew up a sinner, and I need saving. And when I got saved, I was the least likely. Or were you the least likely? I was the least likely person to come to Jesus. And when I got saved, this is why I think some people really go strong after God and others do not. It's because they don't realize how much they've been forgiven. This woman, she was completely at his feet. I will do anything to serve you, Jesus, because I know how much you've forgiven me. Now, there's a scripture. I'm going to wrap it up with a scripture where Jesus talks about this. In Luke chapter 6, and unfortunately, this scripture has been hijacked by the prosperity people, and it's been taken out of context and taught in a different realm, which is not, has nothing to do with money. However, you can apply the principle to money, but it has nothing to do with money. But You'll see what I'm talking about as we get into it. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. You know, whatsoever God person sows, he'll reap. Forgive, and you will be a, you'll be forgiven. What would it look like if you're just really focused on being a forgiving person instead of a judgmental person? Give, and it will be given back to you. Give what? Forgiveness, mercy, grace. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. You want mercy? So mercy. You want live a life filled with grace? Give grace to people. You want people to forgive you? Forgive them. Learn to walk in this place where Jesus walked, with the disposition of Jesus, and you will find you will become one of the most attractive people in the world. It won't matter what you look like or what kind of clothes you wear or how popular you are on social media. If you are a person who lives with the disposition of Jesus, you won't need anything to advertise you. People will be drawn to you wherever you go. And when you become a magnet like that, that's how you lead people to Jesus. Are you following me? The reason this church is big is because there's been people in our church that have been very graceful and and forgiving and merciful towards the world. And people have been attracted to them. Where do you go to church? Where do you go to church? Where do you go to church? And then they come into church and they find out, oh, my God. You got 145 different nationalities that all love each other, that are not harping about prejudice and racism every single day of their life, that are not spending their whole life mad at another race or mad at another culture like the world is. You got a church filled with all these different personalities that are poor and rich and middle class, and somehow they all care and and value each other. That's where I wanna go to church. That's where I wanna go to church. Now, I'm not saying we're perfect. We're not all perfect people. In fact, can I just say this? There are no perfect people allowed at victory. No perfect people allowed. I like to preach messages like this because it gets rid of all the self-righteous people. I like to get rid of self-righteous people so that people can come to Christ. Self-righteous people are a barrier to Christ. They are the they stand in the way of sinners. They block sinners from coming to Christ because all they can see is you. Are you following me? And sometimes you and I are the only Jesus people will ever see. So I want you to think about that this week. I want you to think about that when you go to work. I want you to think about that in your marriage. I want you to think about how you reflect that to your children. I want you to think about your neighbors. Because we got a couple weeks from now, we got Easter service. And I want you to know something. I believe there's going to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people coming to Christ on that weekend. It's the Super Bowl of Christianity. (laughs) 2019, when I was still the pastor here, senior pastor here, our last Sunday, our last Easter before COVID, 2019, we had 24,000 people on Easter Sunday in our campuses. And we didn't have a North Cobb campus. We just had three campuses. Now, how did we fit all those people? They were... They were in every crevice, nook in the building. They were standing out in the lobbies. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. We had somewhere in the neighborhood of 600, 700 people baptized right after Easter in water. We just had a fusion meeting Tuesday night, 50 spontaneous baptisms on Tuesday night. The women had 215 spontaneous baptisms a couple weeks ago. God is moving. God is... I said this, God is moving right now in the church, not just our church, across America. Well, the last thing we want to do is be a different person than Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. Amen. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to think about all this because what takes to get there is a full surrender to Jesus that says, God, I don't want to just be a religious Christian. I want to be all the way in with you, God, all in. And in order to do that, you have to let go of sin. You have to admit, okay, there's sins that are holding on to my life, that are strangling my life, keeping me from fully living for God that I've been unwilling to let go of. Today is your day of decision. Maybe you've been living a life of judgment, critical of everything that's around you, always finding fault with people. That's a sign that Jesus is not living strong inside of you. When Jesus is living strong inside of you, you're a person filled with grace and mercy. So here in this room, and those of you that are watching us online, if you're here today and you say, that's me, I need to repent before the Lord. I need to get my life right with God before I leave today. God is talking to me. With every head bowed, every head closed, I just want you to take, take a moment and I want you to acknowledge this to God by lifting your hand all across the building. Just lift it up high, lots of you. Okay. You can put your hands down. Let's say there's a good 200 of you lifting your hands. Let's just say this prayer together, all of us. Jesus, right now, I acknowledge my sins and I repent, turn away, From anything in my life that does not reflect on you well. I believe you are the son of God who died on a cross and rose from the dead. And today, Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness in my soul, in my heart. And today, I commit my heart, my life, into your hands to be yours for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Let's lift our hands to him. Lord, we just surrender. We embrace you, Holy Spirit. We cannot do this without you. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need all the things that make us a better people. And so I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you're coming and descending upon us this morning. You're driving out any darkness in our life, and you're replacing it with the light of the gospel of Jesus. And I pray, God, when we leave this place, we're going to reflect your disposition to a lost and dying world. I pray that you're going to change us from the inside out into a people who are merciful. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Come on, let's give him praise.